Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanko's message today is entitled, The Good Ground and the Good Heart. That's the good ground and the good heart, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with the first portion of The Good Ground and The Good Heart. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Father God, as we bow our heads, where would we be without the truth of the everlasting gospel? Father, where would we be if the gospel was not what it is, good news? Where would we be, Father, if we were left to our own devisings to figure out how to get saved and when we cannot save ourselves? Father, the truth that Christ brought to this planet is forgiveness and grace wrapped in human form, placed in a human body, all the light of God's love that could not be seen because of its brilliance was seen through the eyes of Jesus. Help us to see Him. Help us to know Him. Help us to have His Word within us and to cherish each other and His Word. And Lord, to do more than this, to be submissive to Your grace and Your Holy Spirit to obey. Not because we are good, but because we know the One who is good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On a remote mountain in the Norwegian tundra at Svalbard, I think I said that right, there's a vaulted door that holds the key to saving life on planet Earth. That's what they say. I mean, Bill Gates has invested in this secret hideout of seeds that holds the potential of saving life on planet Earth. The site is off the beaten track and its sheer remoteness offers protection for the treasure that is held deep inside the subterranean vault carved out of pure stone. The surrounding mountains are the home of the polar bear. And the polar bear is somehow the guardian of the depths. The guardian of the treasure that is found deep within. This Norwegian vault has been called Noah's Ark for a very good reason. Inside that vault, investors and scientists have worked together to gather and to protect the greatest treasure of biodiversity ever collected in the history of planet Earth. The permafrost of Norway's frozen mountainside is minus 18 degrees Celsius. And that is a perfect equation for saving the seed life of planet Earth. The cold of the mountains holds a library of a half a million seed varieties in an essential state of suspended animation. Those seeds are safe in that vault for the future. The vault is locked away 115 meters deep inside the mountain. Four giant steel doors hold the treasure deep within. And the treasury contains semi-dwarf rice, wheat from the early 60s, exotic varieties of seeds that can grow under difficult circumstances, resistant varieties of soybeans, and other plant forms that are necessary to regrow planet Earth if some ecological disaster should wipe out the biosphere as we know it. This vault of life is an insurance policy 
for an uncertain future. Now the scenario goes something like this. Russia launches a rogue missile attack on Europe. NATO responds with more missiles. In a matter of minutes, fear and panic overtake the war network as the infrastructure of the Western world is vaporized in a few minutes. And then it happens by default. The specter of global warming surrenders to the real disaster of a nuclear winter that destroys most of the plant life on Earth. And the new ice age that comes wipes out most of the plant life, as I've said, leaving the planet at a point of biological extinction. Millions die of starvation, famine, and plague. And those who survive in time face a frozen reality that they did not plan for. And when the long winter is finally over, the climate shifts from winter to spring again. And the few souls that are alive on earth go to the secret treasury in the Norwegian mountains and they find the seed that is necessary to regrow planet earth. Now, the vault of Norway has been called Noah's Ark. It sounds kind of fanciful, doesn't it? People are putting their hopes in this kind of a fix for the end. And so they are looking for seed, seed, to regrow the hopes of humanity. Dear heart, in the minds of many, the seed inside that vault holds the hope of a future that has not yet been planted. In the plan of God, there is no future at all unless someone sows the seed. Without the seed... We don't get from here to tomorrow. Without the seed, we cannot progress from this dark world which has no future to a world that is bright and full of life. Without the seed, we can't even get started in the gospel plan. And so this is the context of Jesus' parable in Luke 8, verse 4. It says, And when a great crowd came together and people from town after town came to Him, He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trodden underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock as it grew up. It withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Christ said, The sower went out to sow his seed. Before the explanation of the parable is given, the story begins with a sower who went out to sow his seed. There's no confusion whatsoever in the parable of the seed. I mean, the seed belongs to the sower. It's very clear here. The sower deliberately sows the seed. His mission is to sow seed everywhere. And he himself sows it. And as he sows the seed, he goes here and there. He goes in his hand, takes the seed, throws it into the wind, and the wind carries it where it will. And there is no will to place it just somewhere. He wants to place it everywhere. And the sower goes out to sow his seed. It's obvious that the sower is not selective in the sowing of the seed. He does not pick the most fertile piece of ground. He doesn't look for the good ground to put a seed there, hoping it will only grow there. No, he takes his seed... And without care for where it goes, he throws it everywhere because he is non-selective. He is full of grace. He wants the seed to grow wherever it can find root. We learn much about the sower by the simple truth that he sows the seed on many kinds of ground. Now, maybe you came to church today and you feel like that you are not a good environment for the gospel to take root in. Dear heart, whether you feel that way or not, God has gone out of his way to sow the seed, to sow the seed so that the seed can fall into your life 
whether you feel like you are a good receptacle for it or not, it doesn't matter. He is non-selective. In the parable of the seed, it falls on four different kinds of ground. Number one, some fell in the path where it was trodden underfoot and eaten by the birds of the air. Number two, some fell on the rock with no moisture where it was doomed to dry up and wither away. Number three, some fell among the thorns that choked out the seed when it sprouted. And finally, some fell on good soil and it grew and bore a hundredfold of fruit. No doubt that is the reason the sower went forth to sow. He didn't go out sowing just so he could throw the seed out. He went sowing his seed so that the seed could fall and it could grow and there would be a harvest and fruitfulness would be the outcome of his sowing. That was why he went out. Now in the parable, the good soil is the place where the seed can take root and bear fruit. So without any explanation to the parable at all, so far it is clear that the good soil is the place that allows the seed to take root and to be fruitful. Now, dear heart, I came to church this morning because I need Jesus Christ. I came here because I struggle with real issues in my week, and I need Jesus at the end of the week. Are you that way? And I have found on the Holy Sabbath day that there is grace in the mix, that God is good, and that we can find His Word food for the soul. But I'll tell you right up front, as I'm speaking to you, that I need to really pray in my life on a daily basis that I have good ground so the Word of God can take root in me. There are so many pressures we face in the world in which we live. The disciples of Jesus came to Him and they asked Him to explain the parable to them. What does it mean? Now look at Luke 8, verse 9. When His disciples asked Him what this parable meant, He said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, how many of you think that's fair? Christ said, I've given these parables so that a lot of people can't get it. Does that seem fair? That doesn't seem fair at all, does it? Before Jesus begins to explain his parable, he explains to the disciples that the understanding of the word is a privilege that is not given to many. In fact, he says, the reason why I speak in parables is because I don't want most of those people to get what I'm trying to say. I really want it to be reserved for those for whom the mysteries of God are meant to come to. Now you look at that and it seems like, no, wait a second. What's he trying to do here? Is he trying to keep certain people in the dark and certain people in the light? And the answer is yes, he is. Christ has reserved the deep and hidden things of God for certain kinds of people. And that's what he's saying. Now we do not understand because we are smart in the context of his explanation. We don't understand because we're witty with words. We don't understand because we have earned the right and the privilege to be expositors of the Word of God by going to a seminary. Christ simply says to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Dear heart, when God gives you understanding, it is a treasure from God. It does not come from you. And you had better treasure what God gives you or you can lose it. Very often God's gift of understanding comes in spite of our own abilities because our own abilities, our own achievements can get in the way of divine revelation. And sometimes it comes in spite of our disabilities. You see, it doesn't matter if you're the ultra-talented person or you're the person that has very little talent. If God chooses to reveal His secrets to you, you are highly privileged in the eyes of God. In any way God gives you understanding, you better be grateful it came to you. You better cling to the truth and hold on tight to it and not lose it because it may never come back to you as it was when God gave it. 
Christ very clearly told his disciples that he spoke in parables to prevent certain people from understanding what he was saying. For Jesus, the explanation of the truth is not for everyone to get. There is such a thing as the privileged person who has met the conditions for the reception of divine truth. In verse 10, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. He says that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, in Isaiah 6, verses 5 to 10, we find the context of these words. And Isaiah the prophet said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now look at verse 9. And God said, Isaiah, go say to this people, Hear and hear, but do not understand. See and see, but do not perceive. Now that's what Jesus is saying in this parable. He's quoting this passage. Now look at the next verse. He says, Make the heart of this people fat and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. I mean, that's an amazing verse. God is saying, listen, you take the truth, you give it to people, and what's going to happen is it's going to shut down their openness to truth, but do it anyway. In the parable, Christ is very clear. He is speaking in parables to obscure the truth so the casual convert who doesn't care about the truth will not understand the truth. According to Christ, the truth is reserved for those who are chosen by God to be healed. Now, the prophet Daniel described this kind of person in Daniel 12, verse 10. Daniel 12, 10, he says, Many shall purify themselves, shall make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. According to Daniel, people who want to live worldly lives, people who have set their sight on compromise, people who are unwilling to let the Holy Spirit purify them and lead them, he says that person will not understand God's word at the end of time. Christ described the person who receives truth and understands truth as someone who wants to obey the truth. John seven seventeen. if any man's will is to do his, meaning God's will, he then says this, that person shall know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. He says, listen, I'll tell you who will figure it out, who will understand my teaching. If that person wants in their innermost soul to follow God and they have fallen on their knees and they have said, God, you show me truth and by God's grace, I will follow the truth you show me. Christ says he reveals truth to that person. And it can be argued that if you are not that person, if in your heart you don't want to follow the truth that God shows you, God will not reveal His truth to you. He just won't. According to Jesus, it takes a willing heart to make a person wise. And if you aren't willing to do God's will, Christ will not give the treasures of heaven's treasury to you. But let's look at the positive. If you are willing, if you are willing in all your weakness, if you're willing in your need of God, if you fall down and say, Father God, I'm undone. Help me in my poor estate know you. Help me to experience the truth of your word and to live it. The great God of the universe will give you the truth that is part of the mysteries of God. He'll give it to you in Jesus. Christ also taught that he will not reveal his word to those who are arrogant, think they're wise. You know, we live in a day when everybody likes to look smart. Have you noticed this? I mean, really, we do. Everyone wants to be their own theologian. 
you know, I've been to the seminary. I've taken Greek, Hebrew, Syriac, hieroglyphics. I still know one word from hieroglyphics, deb-deb. It's the word for heart. Deb-deb, deb-deb, deb-deb. I can still remember the ancient Egyptian word for heart. So what? That doesn't mean I can know God's word and truth. That doesn't put me in a favored position as far as heaven is concerned. That doesn't mean that I somehow can put things together. Dear heart, the bottom line, the bottom line is when we fall on our knees and we say, Father God, I can't live your truth without you. I can't know your truth without you. And I can't share your truth without you. It's in our weakness and our lostness and our humility when we are broken that the great mender and healer comes to us. And he will not come to us on our terms. He comes to us on his terms. So Christ said this, at that time Christ declared, I thank thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hidden these things from the wise and understanding and has revealed them to babies. Yea, Father, for such was thy gracious will. God has never intentioned to take the great and holy things of heaven, the deep things of God, and give them to scholastics and high ivory towers who write books to make themselves look good but could care less about the lost of this world. God does not invest the secret things of heaven in those kind of environments. Dear heart, if we are in the business of surrendering to God, humbling ourselves before God, God reveals Himself to us. So Jesus spoke in parables so the deep things of the kingdom of God would be reserved for those with a good heart. You may have a brilliant mind, but if you have a foul attitude toward God's Word, if you stand in arrogance over the Bible, if you think you're smarter than divine revelation, God will pass you by. He will not reveal truth to your so-called brilliant mind. And you will find in the end that you're lost and that you know nothing of what God has meant to reveal. Christ's explanation of the parable is for the humble and the honest who want to obey the truth. How many of you are praying in your heart to be that person today? Raise your hand. That's my prayer. I don't want to be anything but the person described in those verses. Luke 8, 11. Now the parable is this. Christ is giving his explanation. The seed is the word of God. The seed of the kingdom is simply the word of God. The sower here in the context is obviously Jesus. In the gospel of John, Christ is the living word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. But here, the one who is the living word is also the sower of the word. The sower goes out to sow. The apostle Peter understood that the seed is the word of God. And that we are born anew because of the power that is contained in the seed of God's word. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Peter says this. And you, you have been born anew, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then in verse 24. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord abides forever. That word is the good news which was preached to you. Now, the word good news is the word we often translate as gospel. Peter says the word is the gospel, the good news. And it is this word that is God's seed that makes us be born anew. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Christ has brought. And dear heart, that good news is that in Christ's birth, in Christ's life, 
In Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus has retraced the footsteps of the entire human race. And where we have fallen, where we have failed, where we have needed forgiveness, He has been fully successful. He has lived a righteous life and through a marvelous transaction that makes no sense to reason, but it makes sense to the heart of God. God has taken His goodness and righteousness and He has given it to us as a gift by grace so that we are saved in Jesus Christ. Dear heart, Christ is the substance of the gospel. So you cannot separate the seed of God's word from the seed who is the word, the living Christ. The word of the gospel is God's chosen way for creating a new you. Now, if your religion is all about you and it's bad news, it depresses you and there's no room for you to be forgiven, if there's no place for you to start over in life, if it's simply a rehash of your failures and mistakes, but nothing that you can lay hold of that forgives and pardons and gives you peace, dear heart, it's bad news. That is not the seed that Peter is talking about. The seed that God brings into our life is the truth that in Jesus we have been forgiven. In Christ, you have been accepted. In Christ, you can have a new life. Paul says in Romans 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I like the word everyone. It's not for the talented only. It's for the untalented too. It's not for the bright and eloquent. It's also for those who aren't so bright and who aren't eloquent at all. It's for everyone who believes. And that's why it's good news. So Jesus says the seed is the word of God. Now notice what the seed is not. The seed is not theology. The seed is not a degree or a treatise on religion. The seed is not philosophy. It's not music and praise teams, even though I like to hear them. It's not this. It's not fun in any form. It's not social activities. It's not tradition. It's not the record of what our church community can do or not do. It's not a creed that makes us feel like we have correct thinking. The seed is not the musings of debaters and skeptics and forums that make the foolish look wise. It's not the chatter and the chit-chat of common talk on the soap operas or the sitcoms. It's not the wise sayings of a Hollywood director or an unholy preacher who preach and teach any and everything except the Word of God. You know, it's not that. That's not what the seed is. The naked Word of God in its beautiful simplicity with its profound meaning because it's meaning that will renew your life and cause you to live anew. That naked Word of God is the seed. And the word that is simply spoken, yet is profound in its meaning, is the word of God that God has chosen to save you, to save me. And there is no growth in the church or in your personal life if there is no time or place for the word of God. You know, if you're too smart for the word of God, you're too smart to be saved. If you're too wise to surrender to the teachings of the Bible, you're too wise to receive the wisdom of God. And if you're too busy for the Bible... You know, you just get a little promise, you run out the door, but you don't bother to read the Gospel of Luke or John or Matthew. If you're too busy for the Bible, you're too busy to be born again. Because the seed is the way that God reaches your heart and causes it to be renewed. Christ's ministry was to sow the seed of the Word of God and let the Word of God do its work in the life. Now, how many of you here have struggled with Bible readings on a daily basis? Okay, good. I have too i got good news for you. You don't have to read the Bible to be saved. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, I'm going to give you just as practical advice as I can here. Find the Bible dramatized in the New International Version 
or read well by some people, non-dramatized. You stick that CD in your CD player. You sit down for 15 minutes a day and you lock the door and you listen to the Word of God. And at the end of listening, you pray and commit your life to God. Dear heart, you will be saved. Thanks for listening today. If this message has ministered to you, remember there are many more just like it at reachingyourheart.com. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement. And it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe. Events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see... God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to his second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled, God's Last Altar Call. We pray that you will be lifted up by the biblical insights in this book and grow spiritually in your walk with Christ. Thanks for tuning in, and we pray that God is reaching your heart and growing you up in Christ through these messages.